one gentleman who has gone further than all of these guys uh, by a lot is Jack Lausma, the former astronaut who, uh, amongst many other accomplishments, uh, spent 59 days on Skylab 3, so he knows a few things about space. Jack, thank you so much for coming on the program with us. Well, I'm glad I can tell you I haven't spoken with you folks up there in WJR for a very long time, but uh, just good to keep in touch. I know you're still up and at them. Well, space is in the news, and so uh, we, we thought we'd give you a call. So I, I'm curious. I, you know, I saw a reference uh, in a news article to the fact that now this craft just took the youngest and oldest astronauts up into space. That's the words they used. Do real astronauts like yourself uh, take minor offense with the way the word is being thrown around by some of these private craft? Well, I was probably the youngest because I was born on a leap year. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, we uh, we watch them with some interest. We hope they'll be successful and uh, hope that they'll make some progress and they'll get to orbit sometime and have their own space station. How hard is what these two men have done to do from scratch? Second, please. I'd say how hard is what these two guys have done create their own spacecraft, to do when you don't have a NASA program behind you, to do it on your own? Well, to do it on your own, of course, you uh, don't have all this background. Uh, you don't have all the experience that has been gleaned. It's like going on back into Mercury with NASA. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of unknown there, but they've built up that information. And uh, I think the new guys uh, have a real opportunity to uh, experience uh, what they usually have. Uh, learned and apply it and it goes in further and better. Do you think that they have any advantages over a government-sponsored program like NASA? I don't think so. Um, they have a little more independence, I guess you might say. They don't have to uh, have the federal government to, uh, set all the, all the rules and guidelines and make the decisions. But uh, on the other hand, um, the uh, NASA program uh, accomplished a whole lot in a short period of time, and um, uh, I think these people can too. The the two efforts that they made, so Branson went up about 50 miles, and Jeff Bezos's craft went up 61 or 62 miles. And the Bezos team said that, you know, that was real space because there's a line, I forget the name of it, Manlene or something like that. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it, that that constitutes where space really begins. Can you explain that to us, or if that's true? <laughs> yeah, that's a quite an open question. Now, actually, I think they got to 351,000 feet, which is 66.5 miles. The scientists say the edge of space is at 100 kilometers because it's an easy number to work with, and that is less. That's 62.5 miles. So people beat that by four miles. Well, we in the Apollo program, however, have our own view when we uh, are in the atmosphere because we have this um, software inside our uh, capsule that uh, shifts from orbital software to entry software. Uh, now, when you point, when it feels at 0.05 Gs, that means if you weigh uh, 200 pounds and you feel 10 pounds on your back, you have uh, started to enter the atmosphere, and that happens around the 75 miles. So. Uh, those of us who fly Apollo feel like these guys really uh, didn't come to the same um, definition that uh, NASA has of where space is, but they got up there real high. Why is there such a, 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 a like a debate 
over where space begins. You know, that seems like uh, seems like it ought to be a pretty hard number, but uh, apparently there's multiple interpretations. Why is that so vague? Well, I guess it's harder to get to uh, 75 miles than it is to get to 50 miles. So. <laughs> yeah, that's one reason. <laughs> but I guess, I, I, yeah, the, I guess if you can only 50 go 50, then you're going to call 50 space. Uh, what now? Uh, I, I remember reading. I remember reading in, in, in a book um, where, and maybe this is a definition of space, where something about the, 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 the weight of the uh, molecules in the atmosphere can no longer sustain the light or whatever. And that's why, why you go from, like even in the middle of the day, you go from what we colloquially refer to as light, you know, blue skies or whatever, to, uh, you know, a black sky with stars. Is, is, at what point do you pass through that when you are trajecting upwards well i don't it's hard to know and hard to recall because it probably is uh, uh, gradual as you get to the very top but uh we uh, knew that we were we, we always shoot for uh, an altitude that's uh, much higher than all those uh, these uh, these uh, demarcation lines between space and uh, we, we uh, typically uh, i think in the early flights in Germany, for example and fly up uh, over 100 miles uh, in order to stay in orbit. And, uh, and uh, Skylab, we are 275 miles orbiting the Earth. Uh, so we would uh, decline in our orbit a little bit every day, but it was marginal compared to uh, you know, the drag you descend and the uh, speed with which you uh, descend or get to the lower uh, atmospheres with with the machinery. So it's all a matter of. Uh, of um, I think uh, how what capability you have to get there is how you define it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, uh, Jack, is there something that so I'm saying civilians that are going into space now? Are there going to be effects on when if this program continues and you send more people into space? You guys train for it a while. Your bodies were physical. You you did physical fitness to take it. Is there any going to be any exertion on you know normal people's bodies if they're doing civilian space flights? Well, you know, the medical aspects of being in a space flight are uh, always under consideration. And uh, the uh, Skylab Space Station, of course, we had some of the longest flights, a month, two, and three months. And it was a preparation for the longer flights that you're having on the International Space Station now, both in terms of you know, how, what happens to your body as well as to how, to, how do you build and live in a huge uh, space station compared to a capsule where you know, you know in a long duration flight, you have to not only really think about putting in a well, small space, but you have to uh, decide what to do about eating and sleeping, waste management, and all that sort of thing. So that's why we had the Skylab space station. And then uh, we uh, realized that when we went into space with Skylab, that the longest flight uh, duration in America at that time had only been 15 days. So uh, there's going to be a, a big jump between 15 days and uh, and um, uh, a year, for example, where they're staying up in the International Space Station for a year. We, we got back from our flight at two months. It was a record, a U.S. record at the time. We came back with 20% less blood and 10% fewer red cells. And um, that was uh, unpredicted. And so those are the kinds of things you have to uh, guard against as you're uh, going to a longer duration missions. And that's the reason we did those. But now they're staying in the International Space Station up the point of uh, Right. So I think uh, 11 to 12 months uh, has been the record so far. Now, 20% less blood, 10% less red blood cells. Over time, when you came back on Earth, did that replenish itself? 
It did, and it uh, probably was would not have gotten any worse. Uh, I think it leveled at a, a new level that was comfortable at that at that altitude. But we're also living in a um, in an atmosphere of only five pounds per square inch, whereas we're almost 15 pounds per square inch down here. So uh, our atmosphere down here is uh, 90% or 80% nitrogen and only 20% oxygen. Your body uh, has to have a certain amount of oxygen. So once you lower the pressure, that means uh, there's uh, going to be a lot less oxygen in there unless you uh, just uh, make it in there. So our actual atmosphere was uh, in the Skylab Space Station was 70% oxygen and 30% nitrogen. Almost just the opposite of what we have on the ground level, but we had to have the oxygen level up there. And uh, living in uh, that much oxygen is uh, um, best for your body, for sure. You don't yeah. want to get any less because uh, it, uh, it's like living on a peak of Mount Everest. If you right. <laughs> take all the oxygen away. Right. And that affects, that affects uh, your body and affects the other functions of your body. So yeah. um, um, I think those uh, kind of leveled out where we were based on the amount of oxygen we had to breathe. A lot of deep breathing on that. Would you have finally, if they asked you to go on one of these civilian flights, this, now we are talking to Jack Lausman, who's a man who, according at least to Wikipedia, has spent 1,619 hours in space. So if they asked you to say, you know, hey, want to come up on a 10-minute ride that's <laughs> 50 mi- miles above the earth, would you, would you do it? Or would you say, hey, you know, that's a little bit like a tricycle for me? <laughs> Yeah, I'd say been there, done that. Thanks anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I figured. Jack Lausman, thank you for spending time with us. It's great to talk to you, and thanks for your insights.